No, of course. Uh, so myself and Connor were just having a not not to disrespect everyone's intellect, but myself and Connor were having a, a massive like silent argument about whether or not Philip Rivers threw an interception during this game. And he didn't. He threw it in the overtime. Yeah. <laughs> Which he wouldn't happen if Austin Eckler had. Or, or, Did you see how bad the pick was? Yeah, it was brutal. He was concussed. He had concussion. So, welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be taking a look at news from around the league, surprise, surprise, some games from last week, taking a question from one or two new listeners, and then looking forward to next week's games. So hey guys, we've got Connor here, we got Harry. Hey, how are you? And we got Ronan. Hello. Dialed in from Cavan this time, bizarrely better sound quality than he was getting in Cork, which is uh, which is surprising. So how are we getting on, lads? Any crack? Hi, same old, same old, uh... Currently lamenting my choice of broadband provider. Yeah, yeah, they've started to increase the prices here a bit, so a bit constantly, like on a six monthly basis, they're increasing the prices. Mm-hmm. Richard Branson is such a philanthropist, isn't it? It's actually just disgraceful. You've got a captive market divided between effectively a tripartite monopoly, and they can do whatever they want with the prices, and it's just really, mm, yeah, kind of makes me want to smash capitalism. Yeah, I mean, I do anyway, but this kind of really really want to smash capitalism but without capitalism we wouldn't have fibre broadband Harry how do you know you wouldn't have fibre broadband under a fully automated luxury how do you know we would do you want to take that risk yes yes I do Uh, fuck Richard Branson Fitz what about yourself how's all down in Cork well Cork was good I'm in Cavan temporarily doing a very late year uh, visit to the hometown because I missed most of that during the summer during the eternal development hell Uh, but yeah like I think the the better quality is probably more due to uh, not having to use the headphones because in Cavan, one road one car will go by you know every three hours rather than <laughs> all the cars going by the N twenty in my apartment. Yeah, fun makes times sense. makes sense. Yeah, I've been basically just flat a matter of week trying to get. I'm, I'm trying to find that balance between the. I'm, I've started the master's course, so studying and working. So uh, basically long days and it's now gotten to the point where it's dark by the time you're finishing up work at a normal time. So not really seeing the outside, which is a bit off-putting during any kind of light-up time. So trying to work that out. So just flat to the mat, trying to remember maths from like 10 years ago, which is uh, not all that fun. But uh, certainly interesting, something a bit different. So we'll fly in, lads. We've got a lot to cover off this week. we got some fun news that landed uh, today because uh, we were recording slightly later as Ireland got the living shit kicked out of them in the football last night and Fitz wanted to see that happening because he uh, he hates himself. Uh, Nathan Peterman has been announced as the starter for the Bills Week 11 game against the Chargers. Uh, this is their draft pick. They've decided that they want to see something out of him. They don't trust Tyrod Taylor or... Some combination of the above, or feck it, they lost a bet, or something like that. Now, some would say this is them wanting to figure out what they've got in this young person before they reach the draft next year. Some would say this is a reflection on them not having trust in their current quarterback. And some would say this is very confusing coming from a team that's still definitely in the hunt for a wild card and pushing towards the playoffs. Like, what's your take on this? Yeah, it's, it's a really hard one to figure out. Like, I mean... He looked good in garbage time against the Saints' second string, I guess. It just seems odd because, I, like, Taylor has not been playing well, but that hasn't really been a Tyrod Taylor thing. Like, the entire of the Buffalo Bills on both sides of the ball has been dysfunctional, really, for the last couple of weeks. It, it, it's just weird because I don't get where the trust comes from. Because this guy is essentially unproven and it seems like a kind of, a well, anything's better than what we've got kind of move, which is a really weird move to make when you're very much in a, a, quite a tight and competitive race for what's well, going to be, let's be honest, a wild card spot in the AFC. I, I just don't 
see what Nathan Peterman brings to the table that makes him think, yeah, this guy is definitely a starter. Mm-hmm. We haven't, like, we saw some some preseason stuff, we saw some garbage time stuff, and suddenly the coaching staff were like, that's a big enough sample size to give this guy a starting role. And I, I'm just not convinced it is. And I think the concern is that this is a team that, as we know, succeeds and thrives on its power running game. I think that when you take away the risk of a more mobile guy like Tyrod Taylor, I don't know how that impacts that. I don't think it's necessarily a positive thing. But also, I, I, I think this is an attempt at a mid-season reinvention. They're like, okay, we, we realize that the thing without Sammy Watkins isn't working. We've gone out and got Kelvin Benjamin. Let's get a guy who we think, and maybe this is the argument, is that they think Peterman's a better pocket passer now. I don't yeah, know if we've seen evidence for just, that. But, just a change of the approach of the offense? Yeah, or something, but that's, that's a really weird thing to do, like going into week, week, week 10 of the season. Or yeah. week 11, whatever week, I can't remember what week we're on. Um, going into week 11. Going into week 11, that's it. Yeah, and it's like, that to me is just the sign of a franchise that after a long period of running around in circles like a headless chicken, got a brief stretch of stability, looked like it was on the upswing, and has gone back to just doing things because they're there. Yeah. Like, is this just a reaction to the schlocken they got in the weekend, Ronan? Like, well, I think to a certain extent it's, it's another power play by McDermott and the GM both coming from the Panthers organization, both kind of reinventing the team. And obviously a lot of the moves that they've made, which were quite controversial, whether it's Watkins or, or other moves that they've made in the secondary in the offseason, have more or less paid off. The Bills have, we were considering the Bills to be kind of a team that was in rebuild mode straight away, but have been fairly competitive over the course of the season. And they're like, well, we've established that we know what we're doing, so Peterman is our guy. And you kind of feel bad for Tyrod Taylor, like, his biggest issue is he's kind of a system quarterback, but you know, you could say on one hand that makes it more like Colin Kaepernick, but on the other hand, you could say that makes it more like Cam Newton. And we've seen with the Panthers the last few weeks that if you're willing to build the offense around it, then it can look good. And there has been adjustments that they made mid-season, which they seem to have gone away from again, which seem to have unlocked Tyrod Taylor's potential again. I just think it's like, they obviously don't believe that the Tyrod Taylor offense is the offense that they're going to be running in a couple of years. So they're like, we're going to make this change now. We're going to see how this kid does. Once again, it kind of feels like a move where they're looking to the future at a point at which the season is not dead yet. Like if this is week 15 or week 14 or something like that, it might be slightly different. They might have fallen a few games behind uh, in the AFC wildcard cup. But with the way the number six wildcard is likely to be in the AFC, there's no reason for a team to be doing this. So, like, I'm sure they genuinely believe that they that this is the right decision and it helps the team maximise their chance of winning uh, because, obviously, they picked him. He's their guy. They have a lot of belief in him. But I think, personally, you know, with the adjustments that have been made from going from one quarterback to a very diametrically different quarterback, I think that adjustment is likely to reflect quite poorly on the organisation, particularly because I, I don't know... I think Tyrod Taylor is generally quite popular with these his fellow teammates, mm-hmm. uh, but not with the front office, so I don't know how it will affect... The, the locker room as well but German and GM have, have said that they you know we own this team we're going to do what we need to make this team better and this is just another move on that step towards the next few seasons of that cultural change as they see it yeah of course and uh, as, as you might find out later on the podcast this shift might have made two of the members of the podcast change their choices for the <laughs> uh, for the upcoming Bills Chargers game uh, we'll move on to injuries we've had quite a number of large name injuries happening so Seattle Seahawks cornerback Richard Sherman has a ruptured Achilles. He is gone for the season. Uh, I, I text you at the, as soon as he heard this, Ronan, and said, uh, 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 I feel you, fam. I know exactly how you're feeling. This is exactly how I felt when our safety went out. Like, this has an impact. But I think we discussed on the weekend, while it'll have an impact, it, it might not be as much of a schematic impact as, say, losing an Earl Thomas would be. Yeah, I think like what Richard Sherman 
does is that he takes away half the field and that lets someone like Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor move towards the other side and kind of protect whoever the you know CB2 in that situation is. I think with the changes that they've made, we obviously will talk about uh, the, like a, a free agent acquisition they've made, that won't be possible anymore. They will need Earl Thomas will basically have to look both ways when he's trying to uh, when he's trying to make plays uh, in the secondary. I think it's a huge loss because Richard Sherman, even though he's been injured, and there's like there's some controversy over the fact that he was basically playing with an injured Achilles for the last few weeks, is someone who other quarterbacks do respect. Quarterbacks in the league respect Richard Sherman, and they make sure that they don't throw it his way, and they say we'll pick on the other guy. I think without Richard Sherman, that means that other quarter, quarterbacks can be a lot more open and be able to play the whole field, and that will have a massive effect in a certain way. But I think, like unlike Earl Thomas, who I think helps improve every single other person directly, I think this kind of it makes everyone else slightly worse because there's more of the like more of the backfield that people have to defend. I think also personally for Richard Sherman, it's a massive loss because. You know, with, with his contract situation in flux for the next couple of seasons, uh, I think this is the kind of thing where the team might consider this to be a, a convenient way to start talking about restructuring his contract uh, or stuff like that yeah. uh, in a way that doesn't favour him. But obviously, Richard Sherman's very vocal on those type of things, so I don't think he'll let I think he's very vocal on most things, Ronan. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, very vocal on the Thursday night football on which this occurred. There was a lot of injuries for the Seahawks. This is the major one, but. Uh, and the Arizona team as well, and I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about TNF uh, mm. from him uh, in its extended leave that he'll have here. Yeah, should, should be illegal apparently. Yeah, yeah, that's strong. Uh, big if true. Uh, Minnesota quarterback Sam Bradford has been sent to IR with his knee injury. People are now worried that this is, as it was a recurring injury from beforehand, that this is rather than an issue of him coming back next season, it's an issue of him coming back for his career. Particularly unfortunate seeing as it followed on from probably the best game of his career was when this then flared up. It was following that great opening game. Uh, but kind of yin-yang to this is also that Teddy Bridgewater has been activated to the active roster and was suited up for the last game. Now we'll discuss the Teddy Bridgewater Bridgewater stuff in a bit but um Sam Bradford like what do we think is this a, is is this something that the team are now going to be done with him and he'll be hitting the free agent market if he's playing next year yeah well I think depends on his recovery depends on Teddy Bridgewater's recovery I think is the, is the big mm-hmm. question there and how Bridgewater looks um when he uh comes back on the field which could be sometime in the next few weeks to be honest with you yeah uh, it's a remarkable story, but like I said, we'll discuss that later. It's obviously a huge blow for Bradford. He's had uh, this... I, I've lost count of how many knee injuries, season-ending yeah. knee injuries. This is the fourth, the fifth. Like, it's been bad for him, and it's been a consistent issue. And it's, like I said, it's a shame. But organizationally, as it turns out, the Vikings were able to have been able to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, having, obviously, Case Keenum step up and have a, a career year, yeah. to be honest with you, um, has made a huge difference there. But for Bradford, we'll see... How Bridgewater rehabs, how is how bad his own prognosis is mm-hmm. before we know whether or not he'll be coming back at all or coming back to Minnesota. Yeah, so we'll see. I'll fly through a couple more of these and then uh, just if you want to have a think if any of them you want to chat about. So Cleveland linebacker Jamie Collins is an MCL sprain. He's gone for the season. Uh, Fat Rob, Rob Kelly is a sprained ankle and an MCL and he is gone on IR. He's gone for the season. Arizona, Tyvon Branch has torn his ACL, gone for the season. DJ Humphreys is a dislocated kneecap. Oh, that sounds horrible. Gone for the season as well. Vontaze David has decided to go for groin surgery so that puts him gone for the season and he has subsequently been released by the Colts. Uh, we 
We have offensive tackle Menelik Watson of the Denver Broncos is a torn tendon in his foot and he's gone for the season. So this is the thing, it's at this time of the year where for the most part a lot of these will just will just shelve people for the year. Uh, Dallas linebacker Sean Lee has injured his hamstring so he's gone for several weeks. They're positive about him coming back a little bit quicker but these are the kind of ones that you can't really put a definitive time on. Atlanta running back Devontae Freeman has a concussion so he'll be out for a game or two. Uh, Aaron Jones, the running back for the Green Bay, the the, the upstart who kind of looked quite good. Sprained his MCL, he's three to six weeks. Pittsburgh's cornerback Joe Hayden is injured his fibula, he's gone for five to six weeks. As an aside, found out during the week, uh, in the this season since he joined the Pittsburgh Steelers after having spent seven seasons with the Browns, the Pittsburgh Steeler time has accounted for 20% of all the wins he's had in his career, which is very sad. And uh, for the Chargers, Philip Rivers has suffered a concussion, but they reckon he will play, and I think he has already progressed through nearly all of the uh, the required process for it. So are any of these jumping out to you as big moves? I think Sean Lee is probably an impact player that Dallas are going to be missing, because they're now missing him. They're missing their uh, left tackle, I believe, and, uh, and, and one or two other players as well. Obviously, we'll discuss Ezekiel Elliott in a minute. Yeah, well, not to be cruel, but I think Dallas are used to playing without Sean Lee. Like, this mm. is a yearly occurrence where Sean Lee suffers a, a serious injury and misses a few weeks. It's unfortunate, but he has a very extensive uh, injury history. Yeah. There isn't really a huge amount that's, that's jumping out. The one one that might be significant, obviously, is, is the Aaron Jones injury, particularly because it looks like Ty Montgomery has rib issue has flared yeah. up again. Um, so the Packers now very thin at running back, uh, potentially running with, uh, I think, Jamal Williams, who yes. okay. I've, I've heard a lot of talking heads advising, oh, here's your deep dive fantasy pickup. I'm like, oh, he's starting running back. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, most of these are, I think, are either for teams that are pretty much already dead or teams that, like Devonta Freeman might be significant, but you've got, you know, you've got uh, Tevin Coleman in there. Yeah. So I don't think there's a huge amount. The one, one that I think is the most interesting to monitor is if Rivers has a setback, that's obviously a huge mm-hmm. implication. And I don't, I don't. Oh my God! Is it going to be Nathan Peterman versus Cardale Jones? Oh, that would be. God. I'd love that. That'd be horrendous. Oh come on, that'd be great. Yeah, we'll have to re revisit our calls for that game at that point. <laughs> Just draw. Um, but yeah, uh, the the only other thing that I think is interesting uh, Vontis David because there was a lot of chat about the potential to trade him before the trade deadline. Him deciding to go and get this surgery done, and then him also being released means that he'll be hitting the free agency market, which might be interesting. But that's a chat for a later time, I think. Uh, On to crime and punishment. All these players, what are they going to do? Probably felonies. Um, we've got two in this this week. Uh, so. First up on Saturday night, Roy Miller, defensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs, was involved in a domestic battery incident. Uh, apparently he had uh, got into a, a disagreement with his wife following. They went out for dinner. They came home separately. They got into a fight, uh, something involving throwing phone into the toilet uh, and I think tearing out a braid from her hair or something. It sounded quite bad. The team decided uh, on the Sunday to cut ties with them and get rid of Roy Miller immediately. Uh, so that's kind of where that one sits. They've now replaced him with another defensive tackle. He's a rotational player so he's kind of deeper down. Uh, the big one is obviously Ezekiel Elliott's suspension has officially started again. Uh, so it started against Atlanta. He will also miss the next five games but he has an appeal coming up on the 1st of December. And then there's an additional wrinkle. I think, Harry, you were saying this to me as well. They are also claiming that the wording of the of the uh, ban is only for regular season games. So if Dallas were to make the postseason, he would then argue that he should not be banned from those games anyway. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's an interesting one to see how that plays out. God knows. But like, uh, I think we've known it's over since his... Uh 
since the, before the news that he had failed to get the um, longer uh, injunction, yeah, there was news filtering out that his team were trying to settle with the NFL mm-hmm. for a shorter suspension. At that point, you knew he was fucked. Like, yeah, no, of course. Um, look, this just it's great, cool. Let's move on with our lives. Like, it's yeah. over. The dude is suspended. Just get it. Done. Even if he wins in court, it's not going to. At the end of the day, it's not going to get it overturned. No, let's get this over with. Dallas, did they miss him? Well, their whole team looked putrid on Sunday, so I've no idea whether or not that was to be the answer. Yeah. Valley, like Morris ran well. If the team doesn't shit the bed, they'll probably be fine, to be yeah. honest with Alan. And to be fair, there's also there's an element of some like, of that's going to be a function of the loss of the left tackle as well. Oh, no, the loss of Tyrell Smith is huge. Like, Dallas did not look good full stop against yeah. Atlanta, so it's not like you can turn around and say, oh, Zeke Elliott's gone, and now the team can't move the ball. The team just... They were, they were not good. Yeah, no, we'll see how that goes. Uh, controversy corner. Uh, there was a bit of a controversy around the league this week. Uh, Russell Wilson and some concussion controversy. Uh, so apparently he was concussed in-game and they did not take him out or something along those lines. Uh, Fitz, do you want to fill us in? Yeah, so there's a lot of reports saying that the NFL considers that the concussion protocol was not followed. Maybe they were trying to clear space for all the other injuries happening on the night. Great <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but what... What happens now is that there'll be an investigation by the NFL. That's definitely occurring, and then there's some uncertainty about uh, what the what the potential punishment might be. Uh, I think it's a, up to $150,000, but also draft picks could be uh, at stake because mm-hmm. of Seattle's you know previous altercations regarding um, training camp. Uh, yeah, just but, you guys and protocols just don't seem to go together particularly well, do you? It's, no, but like, it, it, you know, obviously the NFL makes a big deal about following the concussion protocol very strictly. That's a massive deal. And obviously with Philip Rivers, like self-identifying concussion symbol, uh, concussion symptoms, obviously they're trying to get people to be more open about saying that they have these issues. But obviously in this case, it's in the middle of the game. It's important, whatever like that. The Seahawks seem to have pushed the boundaries of what is and shouldn't be allowed yeah. in a game. Uh, and I assume that, like, you know, a fine is definitely coming. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see if they get some picks taken off them as well. Like if the Seahawks continue to get into this kind of trouble, the the uh, punishment is likely to escalate as well. Yeah, another uh, controversy around the league. Uh, there's been a lot of fun around Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell over the last uh, week or two. There's ongoing contract standoff, and there's also been a couple of interesting notes about there being a protocol that can be inducted to force Jerry Jones to sell on the team should he not cop himself the fuck on. So, uh, do you want to tell us a bit about his, his scrapping with Roger Goodell? Yeah, so obviously this this stems uh, from the Ezekiel Elliott incident, whereas Jerry Jones is all about getting Tom Brady suspended. Now that the same process has been used against one of his players, he really, really, really doesn't like it. It hasn't been a very good week for Jerry. He um, was removed from um, one of the subcommittees for basically, which he, he wasn't a, he wasn't actually a member, but he was like an ad hoc member of it, mm-hmm. but he was still removed from it for being disruptive. Um, he's generally been going around the place saying that he wants to block Goodell's extension, that he doesn't want him to re-sign. The whole kerfuffle is now mm-hmm. coming down to basically incentive-based pay. Jones wants what is pretty much entirely incentive-based for Goodell. Goodell wants a $20 million pay rise and lifetime use of a private jet, which, it's an opening negotiating stance. Um, I can see why he'd want it, though. It sounds kind of cool. It sounds great. They're both being... I'd I'd like a private jet and $20 million. Yeah, I would, but I don't know if I'd necessarily ask for them uh, in contract negotiations when I'm already being paid paid $30 million a year. So, Mm -hmm. on the one level, Goodell's being unreasonable. On the other hand, that seems to be a reaction to Jerry Jones making this huge power play to remind everyone who really runs the league, which is apparently Jerry Jones. Yeah. There's issues because I think a certain number of owners need to vote through any extension mm-hmm. and, and all this stuff and neither side seems to be budging but Jones is essentially trying to say 
if he doesn't get his way on the contract, he wants Goodell gone, basically, and yeah. replaced with somebody that he uh, that he might pick. I believe Bill Polian's name is being uh, oh, thrown okay. around there uh, as somebody. Now that's all obviously very rumor based or something. Yeah. But you can immediately see that that didn't come from nowhere. Jones is putting something out to say, mm-hmm. "Oh, it's not like I have no plan. I'm just fighting. I, I, you're fucked if you go up against me." And it's just like two old men fighting over money and pride. And it's just, it's not what the sport needs. It's okay because I think a lot of fans, casual fans, don't really know what's going on with that, which is fine. But for those who are more interested in it, it's just, it's a bit sad, really. Yeah. Like, and it's so transparent because Jones is all about Deflategate, all about the punishments being handed down. And then as soon as it's given to his own team, he doesn't like it. And now he's like throwing the toys out the pram. And like, do you know what? I hope he withdraws the Cowboys from the league and they go and fucking play arena football. Yeah, it'd be a bit of fun. Big, big ass arena down there in Jerry World. <laughs> uh, trades, extensions, etc. Green Bay uh, cut Martellus Brannett, saying that he undisclosed illness, he wasn't able to perform. Uh, he then had his agent tell everyone around the league, "Don't sign me. I'm going to go and get surgery." Uh, and then New England signed him and he played like three days afterwards against Denver Green Bay are now trying to claim back uh, money that they've guaranteed to him I think one of the problems that's going to sit around this is that they get the money back on the basis that he is too injured to play or something along those lines and the fact that he then went and immediately played for the other ones would suggest that he could but the fact that he was happy and okay with the cutting would suggest that he wasn't and the fact that he told everyone to not sign this is a mess we've been informed that the NFL officials are not investigating it at the moment uh, we'll see if that stays that way but it's just, it's just a very confusing situation that we will almost certainly have more on in the next week or two uh, Philadelphia have extended uh, defensive tackle Jimmy Jernigan four years 48 million 26 million guaranteed and also signed Daniel Ellerby linebacker and Seattle as Fitz referred to earlier on have decided to bring back an older member of the Legion boom uh, Byron Maxwell has come to join the Seattle secondary uh, presumably in the wake of the Richard Sherman injury and the only other bit of news I think we're going to cover off from around the league today apart from stuff that's coming up in questions is uh the biggest news from around the league, Colin Kaepernick has been made GQ Man of the Year. I didn't think GQ still existed. Yeah, I thought it just went to like purely digital rather than an actual magazine. Oh, thing. I have no idea if it's still a physical magazine, but it definitely exists in yeah. some form or another in cyberspace. This made a lot of like old white people really angry, so I'm okay with it. Yeah, there were. I think the most mostly the complaint I heard was like, well, JJ Watt raised. Like 40 million for hurricanes and he doesn't get here I was like well he probably should have did it for hurricane relief instead <laughs> yeah I think it's like JJ uh, Watt did a thing that everyone agrees that like Colin Kaepernick has opinions I don't like this it's also though let's be honest like it is also a bit of a, an attention grab by the magazine like, but, but that's the whole point of these things is to yeah. sell like I mean nobody just goes oh man of the year is my neighbour Steve who always rakes up his lawn and brings cookies over you know like I mean yeah but that's not man of the year so. shit anyway so. right, it, it, Colin Kaepernick hasn't fucking brought me cookies JJ Watt hasn't brought me any fucking cookies mm. and someone probably wrote the article like back in like August and they're like eh Cappy Irish changing to JJ Watt <laughs> anyway yeah I, I, I like I I, I, I <laughs> Like, J.J. Watt has won enough things. Like, especially especially given his GQ and J.J. Watt released his menswear collection uh, over the summer. Fuck. Oh, yeah, like, he made it, it's like, it's a nice mixture of, it's uh, casual and, like, the everyday man can wear it, but it's a bit dressy. Like, this is not for the everyday man. It's something like $180 a shirt. Is it just Letterman jackets again? Like? Uh, no, it's just, like, it's just ugly, like, plaid shirts. I'm going to look that up now. Yeah, have we got it? J.J., does it have a name? Is it, like... Oh, no, I think it's called, like... Uh, no, no, I think it's, like, the J.J. Watt signature collection. J.J. It's awful. Uh, Watt. I actually have found it. It's, uh... 
Go pick it up or not. You decide. But I can tell you that they're the most comfortable dress clothes you'll ever wear. Yeah. I take pride in how I look and dress when I'm off the field, which is why I started working with Mizzen Plus Main years ago. Their dress shirts look both sharp and keep me comfortable. The perfect combo. No, so if it's what happens with JJ Watson IR, this bullshit. Like. No, he, no he, did, he, did, he did this in the offseason. He did this before this was while, in he, while, July, he was, yeah. while he was training. Uh, just just mm-hmm. horseshit. Wasn't far enough up in that cabin in the woods, no? Like... But yeah, no, we'll fly on to look at the games from last week. So first up in the Ring of Honor, we got Minnesota at Washington, uh, 38-30. to Vikings win their fifth in their row despite two second-half interceptions from Case Keenum. Keenum had four touchdowns and 309 yards. Latavius Murray had 68 yards and a touchdown. They had a very competent first half and a very wobbly second half. Um, the only other player not really to mention, but you see Adam Thielen had quite a game. It catches 166 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Washington opened strong with, uh, I think, Morris Harris was the man who caught the touchdown. They just looked incredible over the body initially ruled out of bounds Cousins 327 yards a touchdown interception and two rushing touchdowns no one established themselves in the run game at all for Washington and they left a little bit too late unable to capitalise on the turnovers that they got Uh, Swearinger picked up both of those uh, had a very nice game but on the first one they turned it over on downs and then they got a touchdown off the second one but they were already down by 15 points at that stage so it was just too little too late from uh, let's be honest uh, like a struggling-looking Washington team, given that they had a surprise win over the Seahawks a week beforehand. Ronan, strong defense and a solid performance, but they slowed down a lot in the second half, uh, gave up two bad picks. Like, There's a lot of talk, and we mentioned a little bit earlier, about like Bridgewater being active. And when you look at what they might be hoping to get out of Bridgewater, they've got a season-defining run coming up in front of them. Their next four games are at the Falcons, at the Rams, at the Lions, at the Falcons, at the Panthers. If you're a head coach looking at that and you look at your performance today, you think Keenan was solid, but he was messy. And if this team if this team they were facing was in any way better, like I would imagine the Rams, Falcons and Panthers at least to be, if not the Lions as well, like you're not... You're not that sure. Would you, as a head coach, be looking at bringing in Bridgewater? Or are you happy with what you've got so far? Like, I, I would... Like, if I was a head coach, I, I would consider it because I think certainly Bridgewater... There's obviously contract uh, issues that you want to see what he's like after his uh, layoff. And obviously, based on what you know about him, he was definitely a more talented quarterback than Case Keenum. But I think Mike Zimmer, he's not that type of head coach. Mike Zimmer is a conservative coach. And I think he's also someone that, if it's working don't fuck with it or you know don't screw with it yeah. just get the job done he's found like a, like a, probably a poor man Sam Bradford but Sam Bradford worked really well in this offense when he was actually fit in those first couple of games and I think with Case Keenum he, he sees someone that while limited is somebody he can trust and I think that this is right now based on all of the information that we have and all the talent is a defense first team so a lot of like uh, like a lot of these like defense first teams that have won Super Bowls. If you think about Seattle, if you think about Denver, the qu- the point with the quarterback is to ensure that they don't screw up the game, that they keep the game going, that they let the running backs do their thing, and that they make efficient passes, they make efficient game calls at that point. I think the two interceptions which let like the uh, Bazungus back into this game are the kind of thing which will start to seed like like sow seeds of doubt in the mind of Mike Zimmer. But I think overall, based on the way that he played, especially in that first half, uh, and the way that he, he has built a rapport with Adam Thielen in particular, I think it will be very... I, I think Mike Zimmer's not the type of coach to let that 
like the kind of hype of Bridgewater take over at this point where he knows that the quarterback is not the point right now. It's the rest of the team that's pulling this team yeah. to a 7-2 record. So I think overall, I don't think it will happen unless Case Keenum really suffers a lot against those better defenses in the next couple of weeks. But if that does happen, then yeah, this, this could hot up a lot. If they win those games though, they'll keep going with yeah. Case Keenum, I'd say. Yeah, if they win them, I don't think they're, they're going to deviate at all. Harry, I was looking up online at this. So odds are now less than 5% for the playoffs for this uh, for this Washington team. Uh, like, they'd need to run the table or go 6-1, and one, which, to be fair, I was looking at it, 6-1 might be doable. Their next games are at the Saints, which is going to be a tough one, right? Then it's versus Giants, at Cowboys, at Chargers, versus Cardinals, versus Broncos, and at Giants, right? How do you load up or approach these next three games, and how do you motivate a team with four that are four games back in the division? Like every game that they've lost has been to quality opposition. They've lost to the Eagles twice, to the Chiefs. They've already lost to the Cowboys once, and they lost to the Vikings. How do you motivate them to try and go at this? This team's offense is fine, right? Kirk Cousins has been playing okay. They've been doing what they need to do. The run game, it's what it's what it is, but. Yeah. We'll see how Piran does now with uh, with Kelly Kelly out for good. The issue was was that against this game, which was a winnable game for them, their defense took pretty much the entire game to get into it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they were getting absolutely hammered at halftime. And um, they were down, I think they were down twenty eight to ten at one point or something like that. Like this, this looked very bad, and they were able to fight back into it. So I don't know if motivation is necessarily a problem per se. If you look at the way they hung around in a game that they were frequently down 15 plus points in yeah. um, and made it close at the end and had a chance technically to win it and they just couldn't execute on. That's not the sign of a team that's going to give up. That's not the sign of a team that's going to just roll over and accept it. And like you said, with a sort of softer back end of the schedule, I mean, there's two games in there that I really don't think they're going to win, um, which are uh, Saints. against the Saints and uh, the Cowboys being the other one. Um, even though Dallas seem wobbly, I think they are a better team than Washington. But what we've seen over the last few weeks from Washington is a bit, I don't even want to say consistency, because that's not right, but a bit more um, reliability in the passing game, a bit more of like we've seen Jameson Crowder come back into it, we've seen Vernon Davis come back into it, we've seen Kirk Cousins developing a rapport that just didn't seem to be there. The benching of Terrell Pryor seems to have actually helped the team. Mm-hmm. Him and Cousins just had, for whatever reason, could not get on the same page. They're like, fuck it, let's throw in a bunch of other guys and see what happens. Uh, and we saw it. Now, are they going to win games where Kirk Cousins has to throw it 45 times regularly? No, they're not. So they do need, and there was the one area that needs to, the two areas that need to improve. We know the defense can play well. They just need to make sure they don't get themselves into a huge hole like they did at the start. That's mm-hmm. fine. That's something you can trust the coaching staff to remedy. The big question mark now is the run game. What can you get out of here? Can you get consistent ball control? Can you win games that don't turn into stupid shootouts? Can you grind down defences. That's what it has to be. Chris Thompson has shown remarkable things this season, but he's been figured out a little bit, he's been less effective recently, and he can't do that. Rob Kelly was just, let's be honest, Rob Kelly was not getting it done even before he got injured. How well Sammy P. Ryan plays is going to, I think, dictate whether or not this team can get over the edge and stop being in these sort of stupid, close, fun games and actually become a team that is capable of Mm -hmm. winning consistently and actually controlling games and being comfortable. And that's what they've got to do. Fair enough, so get that run game established and maybe be able to control themselves a little bit more. Uh, into the neutral zone now, and this is this is a huge achievement. Twice this year, twice this year, the Browns have not <laughs> appeared in the dumpster fire. 
Week one against Pittsburgh, they were also in the neutral zone. Cleveland at Detroit, twenty-four to thirty-eight. Cleveland, Cleveland led twice in this game, opening up a ten to nothing lead, and then at one point twenty-four to seventeen. But they fell off in the fourth quarter and let the Lions speed on past them to a five and four record. Uh, Isaiah Crowell ran well, ninety yards, a touchdown, averaging five point six yards a carry. And Kaiser hit five, eight different receivers for two hundred and thirty yards. Uh, he had a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown. He was injured, got a rib injury, I think, late in the third, and missed a little bit of time. Was back in for the fourth. Matt Stafford had a god-awful first half. He threw 57 yards in an interception. Uh, It took a defensive score to keep them relevant to the game, but he finished three touchdowns in an interception, hitting Tate, Ibram, and Riddick in the second half for touchdowns to bring them up. Like This felt like Cleveland's chance to win a game, and it was probably, by a distance, Kaiser's best game so far. Like The interception was only when they were two scores down, and they had to push it anyway. He ran a touchdown in. He hit a lot of receivers. Like, while not phenomenal numbers, pretty decent performance. Like, Harry, there's still a lot to do for this Lions team. Another fourth quarter win, I suppose. But you can't really rely on that. Nor, like, could I ever see this happen against a what I would call a quality opponent. As in, like, all, like 30 other teams. Um, <laughs> like, I don't think this would happen against themselves. However, like... In their next six games, they've got the Bears twice, the Bucks, the Bengals, and the Packers. Like, wildcard is a distinct possibility for this Lions team. In fact, I would say almost certainly they're going to be looking at one of those. Uh, but this just doesn't feel like a team that could hang with the Eagles or the Saints or even the Seahawks or anything like that, does it? Uh, I mean, look, the Lions, <laughs> I love the Lions. They're such a dumb team. Like, they're, just, <laughs> they're dumb and they're bad and they're great. Like, I mean... Uh, can they do it? I don't know. Like, if any of those teams go in against the Lions with a lead in the fourth quarter, it's always that. Like, you say, I don't see doing this against a quality team. Like, this is what the Lions do against teams, regardless of how good they are, is go on stupid fourth quarter comebacks uh, and sometimes win. Like, they nearly did it with the Falcons. They've done it a whole bunch of times in the past. Like, this isn't just a function of it being Cleveland. At what point do the Lions start actually being a good team, uh, rather than just a team that should be good, but is instead just vaguely hilarious and weird? I don't know at this point. Like, not to repeat myself from the last segment but like they have Amir Abdullah had like a, a decent game on the statistical sense but their run game is just weird Matt Stafford does weird things where he goes out and just can't complete a pass we had uh, Marvin Jones was essentially invisible today after having being a red zone target for the whole of the season couldn't get anything going uh, then Kenny Galladay returned and he got caught some balls and stuff and mm. it was just this team just is weird man like I don't know how they fix this because they are like you said they are aligned with their defense their defense has been really good like, if you look at the analysts people are like oh the Lions defense isn't actually good it just scores a lot of points like, it doesn't fucking matter if it's bad then does it if they mm. get a lot of, if they generate turnovers and they score points and that's what they've done that has kept them in uh, in games and yeah the playoffs are 100% possibility I've been saying this since the start of the season it hasn't quite worked out the way yeah. I thought it would but this team should make the playoffs because they're playing a bunch of bad teams in the, in the yeah. back end of the season. And they should, to be honest, be able to win every single one of the games you've mentioned. Now, they will lose some of them because Lions. Yeah. But it's just bizarre. This is a... When you actually break it down, this is a really talented roster when you actually look into it. Um, that is, has got a defense that is playing out of its mind this season. And as we've seen, Matt Stafford can just flip the switch and turn it on. I don't know how this team becomes consistent, how this team becomes good. We've been saying this for since we started the podcast, since before we started the podcast, yeah, really. a couple of years now at this like, point. This team should be stable. And then we had that brief period where they were playing the cooter ball or whatever, and it looked like, okay, maybe they're building towards something, and they've just gone back to the same old like random variance Lions. Yeah. So, I, I don't know, man. I, don't, I really don't know. Yeah. They're great fun, though. I watched them all day. 
Yeah, I I don't know. I sometimes struggle. I think I think they just disappear for too long for me in games. Like there's just there's just like oh look here's a good string of twenty plays and then like right. We'll do nothing for. But then you can watch the, you can watch the opposing team style on it. It's fine. That's like. true. It's true. Um, yeah, we'll see. Like, I, I just can't. I can't see them going toe to toe with some of the like the top end of the NFC and, and coming out on top. Ronan, this Browns team. I don't know why it felt like this was progress, but it might just be going mad. Might just think it's progress because it's twice they've been out of the dumpster fire. Um, like at this point of the season, you haven't won any games. You're trying to find who sticks in your roster next year and just who you need to cycle and I presume it's a lot of cycling they have 12 picks in the upcoming draft all very high 7 within the top 100 but a couple of lads online did the numbers you know this draft capital idea of like how much each pick is worth yeah it would appear that they have enough draft capital to trade back to collect the entire drafts of 7 teams right that is the entire draft of the Texans, Chiefs, Eagles, Saints, Rams, Seahawks and Vikings given the, the value charts right that would give them 45 picks, 14 of which would be in the top 100, therefore giving them a team that is, with the exception of seven or eight players, all rookies. Is this not exactly what Sashi Bryan was brought in for, for Moneyball, and is that what's going to happen? Please say yes. This is like when people try to trade their entire fantasy team to someone else. It's, it's not, doesn't actually make sense. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, there are issues in this team, major issues, still some major holes. But when you look at the team overall, the biggest issue they have is, one, their quarterback situation, which I think they finally decided, okay, we probably should have just stuck with Deshaun Kaiser. He's actually got some talent. Cody Kessler and Kevin Hogan are, are epic trash. Let's just get rid of those guys. Deshaun Kaiser is showing a lot of toughness. Uh, in the, Considering what's happened to Deshaun Kaiser, the drops being put back in, dropped again, the injuries, he's showing a lot of character at this point to be putting out performances which were as good as this, to be honest, at this point, as a rookie uh, who had was considered to have certain issues. The defensive line actually looks good, especially against the run. The run defense is actually one of the, the better ones in the NFL, if not one of the best ones in the NFL. So I think from that perspective, they're building a core in that front seven, which could do some things. Like their secondary is still pretty trash, with the exception perhaps of Jabril Peppers, uh, uh, and they'll definitely need to work on that. Uh, but I think overall there are some pieces coming together uh, and they got some things going here. I think they're getting Isaiah Crowell finally going in the last few games. I think that's definitely progress, especially in terms of giving some space to Deshaun Kaiser. I think they're wide receivers. Like, obviously, you know, right now Kenny Britt has been a complete bust, but they're obviously they're getting Corey Coleman back off IHAR. Maybe he can do some things in the latter half of the season to show why he was drafted in the first round. They have Josh Gordon. That's yeah. interesting. The dankest wide receiver. Yeah, so I think there's definite positions that they need to draft for. Uh, they'll probably have to bring another quarterback. It's just, you know, case if they think there's a guy worth taking the first overall or second yeah. overall pick on. Uh, and they definitely need to boost up the secondary. But I think on the defense, that front line in particular, there's a lot of talent there. And it's def- it was actually getting stuff done. So Fitz, so Fitz here's, here's the question. Do they win a game this year? I think that they can win a game because they're back. That's not the answer. Everyone can win a game. Do they win I a game? I think they will because I think they, they have to play the Bengals. They have to play the Packers without Aaron Rodgers. They have to play the Bears. I think and of those three, they have a chance. And like two of the other games are against the Chargers and the Ravens. There's always a chance of an upset with those two teams being yeah. very inconsistent. So I think they will win probably one game, uh, maybe two if they're very lucky. Um, but they will get strong uh, this week, as we'll probably discuss. Uh, so hopefully yeah. they can from that. 
uh, in time to maybe put a fight up against the Bengals. Yeah, no, fair enough. And on to the dumpster fire. Uh, this week it is the LA Chargers, the Jacksonville Jaguars, 17-20 to 20 in overtime. Oh, God. Josh Lambeau beat his, pre- his previous team with a tipped kick in overtime to give the Jags their third straight win. Ooh, it sounds good until you hear it's the Colts, Bengals and Chargers that they beat. Um, <laughs> chaos pretty much defined the end of this game in regulation. I've, I've decided in lieu of giving you just how it went, just a quick explanation. Bortles was intercepted <laughs> when they were down by three with one minute and 51 seconds remaining. Delay of game penalty followed by a fumble by Eckler with one minute and 51 seconds remaining meant that they get the ball back. Bortles has three incomplete passes, then another interception with 133 remaining. Punt with 108 remaining. Joey Bosa roughs the passer with 20 seconds left to bring them back into range to just about score a field goal to bring this to overtime. It was a fucking mess. Two interceptions, a fumble and a roughing the passer penalty in the space of like a minute and a half just to bring this thing to overtime that was won with a tipped kick. Uh, No one stood out in this game at all. Eckler had two touchdowns, but he also cost them the game. With his fumble. Well, I mean... He, he like cost he, them the he, game. He wasn't the one who got intercepted in overtime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, no, but as, but as in, he was just trying to run out the clock and he fumbled the ball. No idea where he was. Yeah, like so. he, he, was, he was trying to run out the clock at that yeah. point. They were ahead and he fumbled it and gave it back to them. I'm sorry. And then they couldn't win even with the interception after. Then with Alan Hearns, no, 7 of 9 for 70 yards, not too bad. Uh, there was one, one play that stood out in this entire game and that was it. That was uh, Corey Grant, one carry for 56 yards and a touchdown. Uh, on 4th and 7, <laughs> they fake the punt and they go the entire length. Um, yeah, this was, this was terrible. This was abjectly terrible. Ronan Jacksonville, as I said, not exactly a murderous row teams that they've beaten. Best team they've beaten were the Steelers on an off day and maybe Houston in week one where they didn't have their upstart rookie quarterback until the back end of it. Like, they're at Browns, at Cardinals, Colts, Texans, 49ers, Seahawks, who would be good, and the Titans. Like, <laughs> what, what do your algorithms say about this team? Like, can they play up... To the level to win out. What is a tycoon, Connor? It's a toy titan. <laughs> I, I think, like, with this game, they finally won a close game. I think that's actually a major achievement. And it seems that the Chargers are the only team with the ability to fuck up their own chances so much that the you know, even weak Jacksonville Jaguars can actually beat them. I think there was definitely a sense here that with the Leonard Fournette disciplinary stuff, they kind of outtaught themselves a little bit. They're like, Okay, the LA Chargers have a really good run defense. Let's like put the game on Blake Bortles' back and like let him do short passes. Never let Blake Bortles do anything than <laughs> having to do precision passing. That is like the worst idea ever. I think it's definitely a case where they're like, on paper this makes sense. In reality, just stick with what you're good at, which is running the ball down the gut with Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette's already shown that with eight man boxes, he can still get things done. And I think it's definitely a sense that they were kind of like, even though Leonard Fournette didn't get, had the most gaudy numbers, 70 carries at 100 yards, that also was another case they weren't giving him a chance. Yeah, so I think from that case, if, you know, they, they have a game plan and it's worked most of the time, and I think in this game they kind of, you know, they, they, they moved away from that, maybe, you know, because of external reasons. And I think it didn't work. I think, you know, even though obviously it would be nice to believe that Blake Bortles can do things, he cannot. So I think the Jaguars need to learn from this 
and not make this mistake again. They got incredibly lucky here to win this game, although I did find it's actually quite a derpy, entertaining game. It's like we know what the Jaguars are this year. You know, if they want to sign Colin Kaepernick, please go ahead and do so to give yourself an actual chance to do short passes because he was actually okay at that last year. But if you're going to play Boy Quartles, just, just stop. Don't stop. Don't try this again. Bad Jaguars. Even on the even week. Yeah. Even on the even week. Just stop it. No, of course. Uh, uh, myself and Connor were just having a, not not to disrespect everyone's intellect, but myself and Connor were having a, a massive like silent argument about whether or not Philip Rivers threw an interception during this game. Yeah, and he didn't. He threw it in the overtime. Yeah. <laughs> Which he wouldn't have happened if Austin Eckler had... Or, or, Did you see how bad the pick was? Yeah, it was brutal. He was concussed. He had concussion. Yeah. Then they shouldn't have let him throw the ball. Stop, stop brain-shaming him, Harry, you I fascist. Brain shaming. <laughs> brain shaming. He was playing a game with his kids at the time. Like, oh, God. To his <laughs> Harry, this is five losses this season by eight or less points. It's a talented roster that's not performing. They've got no real home field advantage and a grim sense of inevitability if a game is in any way close whatsoever. Like, at this point, do you start estate planning for the post-Philip Rivers era and just start thinking, can we trade? What can we make out of this team? Or are you trying to redraw your battle lines for the fight for LA slash the fight for any kind of sense of relevance? <laughs> the fight for any sense of relevance might be a bit more relevant. Um, it's weird. They've got a lot of like decent young players in the team. It's not like they com- have to go into complete blow-it-up mode. Mm. But certainly, yeah, you are concerned that Rivers has been you know, not what he was and... He, you know, now apparently concussed. We can blame the concussion on everything, uh, but just like making poor decisions and making bad throws, and it's been the case for a while. He's been an in- he's been a turnover machine for the last few seasons. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm I'm sorry, it's just he has been. And yeah, this team does need to actually, I think, look at seriously drafting a prospect uh, behind him because, like, you know, you got Nicker Cardale Joneses or whoever else. Is, I can't remember. There's got another quarterback. I can't remember, remember who it is. These guys aren't going to be franchise guys. Um, you need something. There, Rivers is older, he's slowing down. What happens? Battle for LA, that'll take care of itself if you start winning. Yeah. If you become a successful team, and maybe one day, if you keep doing that and you work really, really hard, you can fill out your 28,000-seater soccer stadium, and it won't just be full of away fans. Ugh. There's a pathology, I think, at this point, of underperforming. Yeah. Um, for really the last few seasons, through the last three head coaches, let's be, let's be honest, mm. have all been the same thing. And... Well, where they've had success is where they've been able to balance Rivers out, get Melvin Gordon going. In a game like this where they couldn't get Melvin Gordon going, they went, oh, fuck. And, like, the playbook just fell to pieces. The fact that they couldn't win the game is baffling. Yeah. And then the play calling in overtime, they were like, well, we tried to run. That didn't work. Let's just throw it 50 <laughs> yards deep into triple coverage because whatever. I don't yeah. know. Philip Rivers. Like, it, it, it was just ugly. It was a game they could have won. It was a game they should have won. And... This team has been, I think, circling for a while. And yeah, there, there is no plan. It's like you can draft all the Joey Boses you want. If there's nobody who can move the ball on offense, you've got no plan B. When Melvin Gordon gets shut down, as teams have been increasingly doing because they've realized that Philip Rivers can't make the throws he used to. Yeah. He's been facing more and more stacked boxes. This team's going to go nowhere, and then eventually Rivers is going to retire, and then they're going to be really fucked. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just... These are two. These are two teams that in this game both didn't seem to be playing up to their potential, but also just showed how wildly variant they can be mm-hmm. as 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 entities. Um, so I suppose with that, we will move on to a question from the listener. So this one comes in from Cormac, and this one is uh, McAdoo is looking to be on a hot seat, but the Giants are saying he's not. Who do you think is going to be the first coach sacked this season? 
Okay, um, so there's a lot of ones that I think are are in the hunt. Uh, I'll list a few off here and just see like who jumps out of you. Obviously McAdoo, but the Giants aren't really wanted to chop in season. Pagano's been asking it for, for a while. Fox isn't doing great. Marvin Lewis, maybe, but I think he's, he's well-liked in the city. Hugh Jackson, it depends on if you think there's that power struggle that we talked about in the Browns. Like, to, like Dirk Cutter, because that team is just falling off a fucking cliff uh, and maybe maybe Mike Malarkey like there's a few of them like even like I know it's it's fresh into it but like I'd be looking almost even at the young coaching staff in LA yeah well I think you've got to assume that younger staff have a bit more rope sometimes yeah. um, which is probably the only thing Hugh Jackson's got going in his defence like I think Ben McAdoo is the obvious choice just because I mm-hmm. like saying <laughs> McAdoo's going to get the sackadoo. Yeah. <laughs> that entertains me in some And also, I wouldn't have to look at fucking moustache yeah. anymore. Also, right, the New York Giants are an irredeemable trash team. And not, and this is, the, this is the critical thing about New York. In all of those, bar one, which is the other guy I'm going to talk about briefly, that you, there's some feeling that the players want to play for the coach. Yeah. Not the case in New York. It's abundantly clear they have given up. The way they've been playing, the fact that he's just been arbitrarily suspending players yeah. to tr- in some desperate attempt to reassert his faded authority, like as if to channel the ghost of disciplinarian Tom Coughlin. Uh, it, it, like, he has lost that room. He's done. The other coach I'm going to flag, and I can see Connor's pen moving towards it because he knows it's going to be, who falls into the same category for me as Dirk Cutter, yeah. as a guy who, again, can no longer motivate his team to play for him. And it's the same situation there's this guy was brought in because like oh he's mates with, in Cutter's case he's mates with the quarterback he knows mm-hmm. him well it's been a disaster the team has lost all sense of leadership all sense of discipline the players are no longer interested in showing up and putting in even minimal effort really at this point you can't sustain that so I think either of those guys um, McAdoo deserves to go first but the Giants are that kind of classy and inverted commas organization that might give him until the end of the year before kicking him out whereas Dirk Cutter to be honest with you is or going to be one win away from a loss for the rest of the season unless something changes massively in Tampa Bay. What about yourself, Ron? What do you reckon? So I think like the two obvious ones are John Fox and Chuck Pagano as kind of two yeah. people who have had a bit of a chance, had some rope, and haven't really shown any growth in terms of a situation. They both have ameliorating circumstances. Obviously Chuck Pagano, no Andrew Luck. But I think in general, I think Chris Ballard, in terms of his adding talent, particularly in defence, has done okay. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's looking to get someone in who's, you know, more on his side, especially with a rebuild probably coming, uh, or potentially coming, with Andrew Luck's health situation in such flux at the moment. And John Fox, like, you know, like his call at the weekend that overturned, uh, <laughs> where he, he, he got, uh, he, wanted, he thought it was a touchdown, it was actually a touchback. That's the kind of thing, as they accumulate over the course of the season, that kind of really hurts especially with such a, a wounded Green Bay team asking to be beaten there that makes you want it. I know they got they got Mitchell Trubisky in there they have a GM who's obviously gone over his head before so I think overall like Mitchell Trubisky they might have seen enough but there's no real indication I've heard from the, like the Bears camp that like John Fox and Mitchell Trubisky have any special bond or anything like that so it wouldn't be surprised to see him getting canned especially because Chicago you know, they, they, they don't necessarily have the most patience for coaches. So I think they're the two obvious ones that we would have seen at the beginning of the season. And I don't think there's any reason to suspect that they could could not easily be got rid of uh, uh, before the season is up. No, of course. Right. So you covered up most of the other ones. So I, think, I, think, I think Marvin Lewis is, because of how dog shit they were beforehand, he's not going to get fired on much. So we've got a scenario, right? Oh, that's going to be good. So McAdoo 
knowing that he's dead to the world, is going to start trying out, is it David Webb, the one that they drafted in the second or third round? Um, he's the one who I had an interest in but thought he would take a year or two to get ready. Davis Webb starts playing for them, plays a little bit better. He's a bit quicker off the mark than Eli. They look a bit better. They're doing okay. It means he's not fired mid-season and waits till afterwards. This now at the upper end of the New York Giants know, yeah, know that uh, know, know that they need to start rebuilding uh, anyway. Whether they found something in Web or not, they trade Eli Manning to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville Jaguars start him. They're not getting the kind of production that they want out of him because all they need really at this point is a quarterback to be relevant. Tom Coughlin steps in, kicks Doug Marone out of the way, takes over the Jaguars and starts running them with Eli Manning under centre, with a developed defence like he likes to have, with established wide receivers, with a line that can block. And what that means is Doug Marone, a winning coach with his team on the way to the Super Bowl, will be the first head coach fired this season. Does does Victor Cruz come out of retirement in this fanfic or? <laughs> yes. They are the Jags. That's the only point in favor of the, the Jags. This could yeah. happen with Jags. Well, no. I, 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 this is mostly just a bit of crack. But I do yeah, have. Yeah. I, I do have. I do have a theory that Tom Coughlin's going to end up coaching the Jags. I yeah, think that I he's. Like, that's the only reason that could happen before any of these other guys get fired is because the Jags are one of the most dysfunctional teams in the NFL, and Tom Coughlin basically. It probably runs that team effectively already. So it's just like whether he wants the the title or not for the Super Bowl run that he probably imagines in his head already. Yeah, exactly. That'll be that'll be about it. So, uh, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it. Like it should be McAdoo, they won't do McAdoo. So I'm gonna go with Pagano for the realistic answer, or no, no, Cotter for the realistic answer. But uh, like fever dream answer is Doug Marone. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be good fun. Oh, uh, and, and on that fantastic uh, note, we're going to move on to our picks for next week. Okay, so first up, Thursday night, we have Tennessee at Pittsburgh. We've taken Pittsburgh across the board. Why is that, Harry? Yeah, it's an interesting one because both these teams look kind of weak, but Pittsburgh just looks slightly less so than Tennessee, although it is slightly less so. So you go with the home team, I think, in that kind of scenario. And Pittsburgh have a tendency after a shitty game on the road to just, like, just beat the shite out because the Chiefs have been on the receiving end of it. Yeah, they, they, they only do that when they're playing good teams. Though. Yeah, <laughs> so that's true, that's true. Uh, next up, Jacksonville at Cleveland. We've taken Jacksonville across the board. Uh, why is that fits? Well, they're a better team and everything, but this is all week's Jags as well, so they're absolutely going to destroy Cleveland. Yeah. Like, this is going to be like a 50 to like three stronking, probably. Yeah. Uh, as Glenn Fournette basically just like rolls over that supposedly good run defense. Yeah. Uh, just don't make Blake Horton's pass, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Might need to adjust one of my fantasy leagues that have a bye week issue at quarterback. Uh, Tampa Bay at Miami. Uh, oof. Uh, I've taken Tampa mm. Bay and mm. you two have taken Miami uh, Harry Jones tells why Miami yeah this is really a pick against Tampa Bay to a large extent because see what everything I've said about the team giving up and not caring and yeah. being bad um, on the other hand like Miami yes still not good but like we've seen a little more fight out of them bizarrely like after come, after being bent Jay Cutler seems to actually react quite well to that mm-hmm. and is still not great but it's better than he was before and even after Jai's gone we have seen uh, Kenny and Drake step up in the run game so mm-hmm. yeah the team with, that like seems to be showing some fight and is technically still in the hunt versus one that's like just collapsing into a giant puddle of recriminations and violence yeah you go with Miami there yeah but then you go it's Miami it's Jay Cutler uh, I'm going for a Tampa Bay because like, I think both these teams are shite I think Tampa Bay have better overall talent level um, and I think they're due a good game whereas I think Miami like it's still it's only like two weeks ago that they had that 300 yards three touchdowns and no interceptions game from Jay Cutler he's not recovered yet he's not ready to give another game like that so uh <laughs> 
This is this is going to be a stinker of a game. Uh, Tampa Bay to edge it slightly because uh, they've got a kicker now. Uh, Baltimore at Green Bay. We've taken Baltimore across the board. Why is that fits? Yeah, I think Green Bay, Brett Hundley, he showed a bit of fight against the Bears, but the Bears really gave it to Green Bay last week. I think Baltimore's defense will give him a lot more issues as well. Uh, and, you know, the, the Baltimore are good at winning these kind of close games. And I think against the Green Bay team without Aaron Rodgers, that should be enough to get them over. But uh, this won't be a very fun game. It'll probably be pretty grindy. Uh, and it, But in that case, I would favour Baltimore. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, next up, we have Detroit at Chicago. We're taking Detroit across the board. Uh, I think it's just Chicago, while having some good bits, they're not a complete team at all at the moment. Uh, they'll keep it close, and they might even be slightly ahead. But that's exactly where you don't want to be going into the fourth quarter. Um, Detroit have the skill to do it if they just turn it on and I can imagine like we said this is a they need to run hard at this back end of the softer section of their season so this is where they need to step it up and that's where they're going to do it here uh, next up we have Ronan's game of the week uh, you prick because I was going to take this as my game of the week uh, <laughs> get him in quick. this is this is the game uh, see Behind the scenes, Fitz tends to like look after our spreadsheet full of information, so as soon as it goes up, he fucking picks whichever one he wants straight off the bat. This is going to be a monster game. Rams at Minnesota. Uh, I've taken the Rams, and Fitz and Harry have taken Minnesota. Tell us about it, Fitz. So this is primarily the showing how bad Jeff Fisher is at coaching bowl, basically. <laughs> Both of these starting quarterbacks will be from Jeff Fisher's 2016 LA Rams and are both two of the most effective passers in the league right now Jeff Fisher everyone probably yeah. not good at coaching don't give him a job anyone no ever. you do he's only one is he is he one loss or two losses away from being the losingest coach in history so we need to get him to briefly have a job <laughs> maybe he can take over uh, the Jaguars or yeah, something bring him back whenever uh, you're playing the Seahawks mm. so I think as well as that I think the big thing about this game is we know what these teams are. They have really good defences. LA Rams, there's a couple of more questions about LA Rams' defence, but they seem to be turning the corner, or they seem to be doing enough that the explosive offence is getting ahead of steam. And in Minnesota, their defence is really for, like coming to form over the, the like over the like the like the middle third of the season. And I think there's all the big question mark for both teams, therefore, is at the cornerback position. Obviously at the Rams, we have Jared Goff looking really good, putting up really good numbers, but in the two losses that they've had, as I've mentioned before, when Jared Goff had to have the had to put uh, put the game on his shoulder, when Todd Gurley wasn't as effective in his other games, that's the game against uh, Washington, the game against Seattle. Jared Goff has not looked good. So the question is that Minnesota, a really good defense, can they get pressure on Jared Goff? I think there's a good chance that they can, even with an improved defensive line. And if Jared Goff has to do the work, if Todd Gurley can't get going. Can Jared Goff show the progression to being someone who's a franchise quarterback? This is a number one pick, let's not forget. This is someone that you should be expecting to be, at this point, starting to show the talent that he can take over games and win them by himself if needed. And I think that's the big question mark for the LA Rams. I think Minnesota's defense is the quality they have. They're definitely going to show up. They're definitely going to make make life hard for the best offense in football. And the question will will Jared Goff get it done? And on the other side, you have Case Keenum, obviously now dealing with the double pressure that Teddy Bridgewater rumors are already out there in the kind of NFL news ecosystem. 
He's under pressure now. He threw a couple of bad picks to let Washington back into the game last week. Can he pull on a performance like he had like in the first two thirds of that game that would give puts confidence in him that this is the guy, that this is the safe pair of hands that you can ride all the way to the Super Bowl by taking care of that taking care of that defense and giving the ball off to a run offense that looks pretty good, like pretty okay. Latavius yeah. Murray and, and Jeremy McKinnon doing decent work in the absence of Dalvin Cook. So I think overall, you have two teams here that I think every, no one really expected to be in this position in mm-hmm. such good records in their respective divisions, looking at the both going to win their respective divisions. Obviously, Rams uh, have left more doubts because of homerism. But I think, you know, this is a respect game for these. This is a game where both of them can prove that they're the legitimate deal, that they have the quarterback who is good under pressure, can get it done against a good defense. And for me, that should make it a really good game. Both of these offenses are, are purring. Both of these defenses are really good. It'll be really close. And, you know, I'm giving it to Minnesota because they're at home and I have a little bit more faith in Keith Keenum and also because I hate the Rams. Um, <laughs> so I give it to Minnesota, yeah. but this should be a great game, a close game, and it could have major repercussions for the NFC uh, playoff race. No, of course. Uh, next up, we've got Arizona-Houston. I've taken Houston Fitz has taken Houston. Harry has taken, uh, give me a second, for the angel of death spread his wings on the blast and breathes in the face of his foe as he passed. The eyes of the sleepers wax deadly and chill and the hearts that once heaved uh, forever grew still. Arizona. So you haven't picked anyone to win this because you said we're not discussing Arizona on the podcast anymore. So Houston are playing no one this week and you have no pick for this game. Uh, Why will no one win? Well, I mean, we know why nobody will win this game, because it's fucking awful, which is why I decided yeah. to set up a pick to go with the destruction of Santa Cherub. Look, this is a terrible I, I, game. It's a terrible game. It's going to be a really bad game. Like, I just feel like once Deshaun Watson went down, like, Houston know their season is over. Yeah. Whereas Arizona, I feel like, and this is weird, I feel like Arizona have known that for longer and have sort of turned the corner of despair and are at the point of, like, trying to get players trying to stay well, on a roster well there's, well, there's a combo so like they've got a load of old individual players yeah. who are like I don't want to go out on a bum note kind well of I thing. think it's a little bit of that certainly, but I mean you look at the way Peterson and Larry Fitzgerald have been playing mm-hmm. recently and like this is a team that shite up against a team that it turns out with Tom Savage at quarterback is shite which is probably true of any team Yeah, like I just think I have more faith in Arizona's defense and in the desperation of a lot of players on that team to make sure they get one more shot mm-hmm. uh, be that through age or be that through just not being that good that Houston just seem like they're going to sleepwalk through the rest of the season. That's yeah. basically the reason for the pick. Although, to be honest, I don't care who wins. I hope they both lose. I hope this game is stopped after five minutes. And yeah, just home. a draw. Just called yep. off. Uh, I was, I was, I was Harry's like, act, believer, that's what this is all really about. Blake Gabbard is going to win this game. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, next up, we have Kansas City at New York Giants. We've taken Kansas City across the board. Uh, Andy Reid off a of bye is an incredible record. This New York Giants team is dog shit. Uh, uh, the only thing that's in, of interest, I think, in this game is just to see what kind of adjustments KC have made to defensive scheme and stuff coming out of the bye week and if they've done anything to try and rectify the issues that faced them the last three or four games that they played. Uh, Washington at New Orleans. We've taken New Orleans across the board. Why is that, Harry? Is it because I was right about New Orleans? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when you're right. Yeah, New Orleans are good. They're better than Washington. Definitely. 
Um, now that I pick them, but now that I started picking them, you know they're going to start losing because you know, yeah. my record is in these things. That's true. Um, but yeah, look, this is top to bottom right now. A better team. We see the defense with the addition of Marshall and Lattimore uh, pretty much turn the corner on, mm-hmm. on the back end. They still aren't elite, and people still overrate them. But yeah. they're good. They're fine. They're solid. Washington are just a little bit all over the place at the moment. They're coming into the Superdome, and like it, it, it doesn't matter. This team can be. Drew Brees hasn't had to play well this year yeah. because they have been insane on the ground. Alvin Kamara has been a revelation. Was it three hundred uh, something yards? last week just because yeah. they were being given it by the Bills Listen, both, both had 100 yard rushers like it's the, the, the ground game looks unstoppable and then like Drew Brees isn't a, isn't a bad fallback to have your thunder and lightning combo falls through yeah. so it's, it's, it's yeah it's hard to pick like inconsistent teams against the Saints right now no. I've learned my lesson of course uh, Buffalo at the LA Chargers uh, so this is uh, Nathan Peterman against the kind of day walking concussed mess that is Philip Rivers. We've got LA Chargers across the board. Uh, I my rationale is that they're at home. Uh, I don't want to watch this game. Fitz, any further input? Nathan Peterman will suck, and LA have a good run defense, so Shady won't do anything either. So uh, yeah, it yeah, there's yeah. the. I, like the only real question is whether this will be worse than the Arizona or Tampa Bay game. There's just three really bad games this week that you just don't know what, how quite bad each one will be. Yeah, uh, that's it. Next up, Cincinnati at Denver. We've taken Denver across the board. Harry? It's just very hard to believe in Cincinnati doing stuff right now. Denver at home, their defense is still good. Hmm. Cincinnati just look bad yeah. and are playing badly against bad teams that little thing they've had in the season where things are turning around with the change in OC has meant just now yeah, yeah. they look a little bit better but like I just I think when you're, you're riding basically Andy Dalton's ability to connect with AJ Green or AJ Green's ability to draw coverage off of Brandon LaFell to get you anywhere because everything else is dysfunctional you don't want to try and do that against Denver no not a chance uh, New England at Oakland we've taken New England across the board it's New England, they pretended to be bad as they usually do for a couple of games to start the season. But now we're well into New England's just like thundering over the entire AFC. Uh, Oakland look bad. They look like they have a lot of issues, especially in that secondary. Expect New England to put a lot of points up at them and not really make this a close game. So New England good, Oakland bad. Is, yeah. this, win. is this the game in Mexico City? Yes, it is. Ah, oh, cool. That'd be fun. Yeah, uh, I just can't. I can't see Oakland's winning this one. Next up is Harry's Game of the Week, Philly at Dallas. Uh, we've taken Philly across the board. It's what it is in Game of the Week, except Dallas will look dog shit. Well, yeah, well, they did, but for one game. I mean, I'm willing to give them credit. Yeah, let's see, let's, let's, should be back, I think. Yeah, so. let's see what they look like this week. I think this is interesting because, obviously, in-division <laughs> game, obviously, implications. Yeah. But these are two teams that have, like Philly, we know have looked excellent, and Dallas have shown up until last week where things sort of just fell apart for no clear reason. Dallas have shown that they were turning a corner, that they were playing like they did in the previous the previous season, mm-hmm. and looked like they could really produce something. And they're going to be up for this because this is the last chance, really. This is the last chance to knock off the Eagles, and conversely for Philly, th- this all but seals the division, realistically seals yeah, the division if they win this game. So huge amount of stake. Two exciting young teams. I, I, I'm game for this. I think Philly. Look, you have to pick Philly right now because oh, yeah. we've seen the vulnerability from um, Dallas. We've seen problems from Dallas. Philly have just looked phenomenal. Yes, there have been some ugly spots, but it looks like they just keep getting stronger and stronger as each thing goes on. They lose players who we think they're going to miss, and then they end up not missing them. Then they're like, oh, the running game started working. They're like, let's throw in another starting quality running back just to see what happens with JHI. Like. 
right now, Philly look like the best team in football. It's very, very hard to pick against them. I think Dallas is going to give them a hell of a fight on the way there. But I, this is the kind of game where I think we're going to see Philly start to sort of pull away in the second half. Mm-hmm. And that sort of quality they have, particularly on that front seven, it's going to show. Particularly if Dallas's O-line isn't 100%. Mm-hmm. That's going to make the difference in this one. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, like I said, like I think it'll be a good game. It's just I, I want to see Dallas adjust a bit for this one because uh, they're now down three starters that seem to be hampering them quite a bit. Like that'll define a lump of what happens for them for the rest of the season. Atlanta, Seattle is my pick of the week. Uh, we've gone Seattle across the board. I was a very questionable Seattle call on this one for myself because uh, I think Atlanta are probably. Given how they looked last week, probably a better team than the Mazungus are. Mazungus went up to Seattle and did a good job. Seattle is now a less good defensive backfield with the loss of uh, Sherman. Like, there's a lot of things that would point to this being a spot where Atlanta would be able to re-establish themselves. It just have that feel of Russell Wilson bullshit happening again <laughs> on a primetime game. Atlanta hammered Dallas last week so now they're going to have a terrible game on the road to uh, to Seattle Seattle is going to be loud they're going to be irritating they're going to be overcompensating on defence for the loss of Sherman and let's be honest this is not an offence under Sarkeesian that has managed to actually utilise Julio Jones and things like that correctly they're down to one of their two running backs so they won't be able to do as much misdirection not that they were doing much of that <laughs> in the first place like this is a team that has Atlanta is a team who has the skilled players who should be able to exploit exactly what Seattle is offering up to them right now, especially with the injuries they've had. Yet for some reason, they have a scheme and a coach in place that I feel they are going to run in the opposite direction of how they could beat this Seattle team, which annoys the shite out of me, but it means I'm going to take Seattle. But I do think it could be a very good game if they just stop listening to Sarkeesian and start going with what's being given to them instead. So I suppose that'll do for uh, for this week. Uh, we must actually—I I had intended to, to do a quick count on how we're doing at the after ten weeks of, of picking games, but uh, yeah, we'll do that next week. Uh, any plans for the rest of the week yourselves, lads? Any scandal? Picks are being tracked, Connor. Just not by you. I know they're being tracked. <laughs> uh, no, because we were, we were just going to do an update on them, but then uh, we forgot to actually line it up before the, before the yeah, podcast. I, I, I've got the picks tracked, right? I think I've done the last. I don't think I put the last week in yet. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, in terms of what's coming up, I'm mm, I'm not sure. I feel like probably might have some board games on the weekend. Oh, that'd be fun. Uh, yeah, a few board games, a few beers. Maybe have some. Then obviously we have football on Sunday. Yeah, it should be good. Make some, can make some food if you want to come over. Going to do yeah. a pasta bake with a bit of pork belly and lots of cheese. Very nice. Now I'm off to carry for a bit, and then I'll be back up on Sunday. So I think going to go down to the Christmas lights are being turned on on Sunday, and then uh, might swing over for a bit of football. The Christmas lights are being turned on on Sunday. Yeah, it's fucking mid November. Jesus. Yeah, so it's the Grafton Street ones this weekend coming, and then it's uh, Smithfield's the weekend afterwards. It's fucking November, like. Yeah, but this is when they start getting their sales bits off. Mm. So this is the thing is like for the most part, people anyone who's paid at the tail end of the month will be going shopping the twenty fifth of November rather than twenty fifth of December. Yeah, true, but. And uh, sure, given that it's the, the shops that tend to pay for them, they probably want them up for longer. What about yourself, Fitz? You're up in Cavan for the rest of the week, are you? Yeah, so out of familial obligation, I will exist in Cavan, and I'm, I'm assuming my family will talk to me, and I'll reply to them, and that'll be interesting. Uh, no, no, they're fine. It's, I don't have nothing in common with them, so <laughs> I have very little in common with them. Mm. So very uh, good. just different worlds, you know. Cork, yeah. Cavan, never shall the twain shall meet, you know. Mm. Where, um, would the, where would the twain be? You'd be like, I got a bit, or some bullshit, like. 30 miles outside Limerick? Nah. 
Before North than that now. It's Calvin T. Like, you'd be safe of that loan anyway. Yeah, I can. Like, Carlo or something? I can't. I don't even know. Carlo, I don't know if Carlo actually let, exists. Let, let, this is no, I've, ne- I've never been to Carlo. That's true. I don't know anyone who's been to Carlo. Let's see. So it's about that much. So we're going about there. So it's looking a bit like uh, Jesus Burr. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, a bit awfully. Uh, yeah, there we go. That's our geography lesson for all of our American listeners. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed. Uh, <laughs> So that's that Bob shall say goodbye for myself, bye from Harry. Why are we doing the Top Gear outro now? I don't know, because it uh, drives an occasional laugh. We're trying to get ourselves sued and we get ourselves a bit of coverage. <laughs> <laughs> you see by Top Gear or by the, the actual hosts? <laughs> yeah, who are we getting sued by? I don't know, it'd be fun. Ah, but we couldn't get sued by Claxon, he wouldn't go after another Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> we could try and get sued by Piers Morgan, nobody likes him. Nah, what's his name? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm a smarmy cunt. Good night. Is that how you... <laughs> yeah, probably. Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, we'll need to find some people to liable at the end of the podcast. Uh, it's a good way to find out if anyone listens this far. <laughs> uh, well, we could, we could try and... I don't even know about... <laughs> yeah, he's gone. Uh, the, we, could, the... we could just read through the list of our Facebook fans and call them each individually a twat. Oh, yeah, yeah we could do that. Uh, <laughs> Let me find out who this is. Take a while, fuck it. Uh, but look, that's bye from yourself, bye from Harry. Bye. <laughs> Did you forget my name? No, I was starting to think of the order, and then I realised that uh, we don't currently have fits in the line, so bye from you, bye from Harry. Yeah, sorry, this is the most fucking bad show you ever got. I'm loving it. Goodbye. Bye from Ronan. Bye. Ah, he's back. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week. He's gone. He's just just sent us a message on Skype saying bye. (laughs) 